This is the Millennial Millionaire Through Real Estate Podcast. I can't tell you how many times going the cheap route for me has been the most expensive route. That's, that, that's like a lesson that like as I get older, I learn time and time again, whether it's buying a television or buying food. You're listening to the Millennial Millionaire Through Real Estate Podcast, where we discuss tangible tips, tricks, and best practices for becoming financially free. The show is designed for people who want to either start real estate investing or for those who want to scale their real estate business. What's going on, everyone? This is Jonathan Farber, your host of the Millennial Millionaire Through Real Estate Podcast. I hope you're all well and healthy. For any first-time listeners, thanks for being here. The goal of this show is to explore ways to become financially free through real estate or to increase passive cash flow through real estate. A little background on myself, I work in corporate America at a software company and my side hustle is real estate. I currently own eight rental units and looking to add more this spring. I have house hacked, bird, flipped, and done short-term rentals to name a few strategies. My current focus is 20 to 30 unit apartment buildings in Ohio and Kentucky. I love to network and learn. So if you'd like to connect further, feel free to find me on LinkedIn, Facebook, or BiggerPockets. All right, guys, got a great episode today. I'm very excited about this with Justin Stamper, someone I would also consider a slight real estate celebrity. He's had a house flipping show called Flipping, no, Zombie House Flipping on HGD. HGTV for a couple of years. Um, it's not on this year, but it will be back. I think it was just pulled based on coronavirus and uh, business being kind of paused, but it's an awesome show. I've checked it out and uh, Justin has some great tips and learnings just from the business and the show that we go through on the episode today. A little background on Justin. He is from the Orlando area. He has done uh, a little bit of everything, but his main bread and butter, as you could imagine, would, would be flipping. He's done over, uh, he says four to 500 flips. He's really grown the business and now gives back with a lot of it teaching. Um, but he's got skills in all parts of the business that flippers would have, but he has also from different experiences that he had just coming up and growing up. It's really interesting, his background, but things like wholesaling, aka finding off-market deals, things like working with contractors, on how to not get ripped off and how to make sure that you are getting the work done that you are expecting to get done and how you can get rid of these deals and build up a rental portfolio. So he's done a lot of things outside of just your traditional flippers uh, as well as building a portfolio and then even doing some short-term rentals. So we have a wide ranging conversation. We dig into a lot of topics today and we might need to do a part two. That's the other thing I find with so many of these guests. It's just, there's so much to dig into in their stories. So uh, I do my best, but we might need some part twos and some repeats, which we're already getting into with a couple of guests. But uh, yeah, so Justin had a great story. And the main learning that I had from this episode was how to work with contractors and not just how to work with them, but what not to do. And he also deep dives questions that I've always had that I've never heard explained. It's almost just assumed that everyone knows this of the difference between a subcontractor, a contractor, a handy person, who does what, how do you know who you can rely on to do different things on the job? And also, if is it a good thing if someone tells you they can do all parts of the job? If your handy person says they can do tile and flooring and roofing and bathrooms, is that a good thing or not? And he actually doesn't think it's a good thing. He explains why, but for him, it comes down to time savings. So he goes through his whole process. It's really interesting. And like I said, I learned a lot. Today's tangible tip, something you can do during coronavirus if you don't feel comfortable 
buying properties or spending money on deals that you don't know if they're going to be good in a year from now, something that is always a good use of your time working on your credit. And there's a bunch of ways you can do this, but if you just go on YouTube or start going on blogs, you'll find all the ways that you can improve your credit and play around with things that can boost you for when your time is ready and your time does come to buy property and you don't have to then worry about how to get your credit in order. It's kind of like the analogy I have is networking. You'd rather build the well before you get thirsty. Same thing goes for building your credit. It's never a bad idea to work on your credit. It could be things like closing down credit cards or getting your credit score pulled and just taking a look at it. If you've never looked at what your actual score is, great time to do it and then put a plan together to actually get more lendable and build your credit back up. It's just a great thing. It'll, you'll always be happy you have good credit. So without any further ado, great episode today with Justin Stamper. All right, Justin, what's going on, man? Welcome to the show. Hey, what's up, John? Thanks for having me on, man. Yeah, I'm excited to have you on. You've got a very unique set of experiences that I think our listeners are going to like, and you've done a lot more transactions than most of the people we've had on the show. So I'd say you've been battle tested and we can dig into a lot of those experiences. But uh, before we go into your background or before we go into even what you're doing today, I've just been kicking off every show with this question, just amid coronavirus based on where people are in the US or what they do. How has coronavirus affected your business and or your day-to-day just as a person, wherever you're at right now? Do you want to tell us? Um, Let's see. Okay. Coronavirus. Um, Well, I had some Airbnbs. Um, Uh Now I'm only down. I I have one left and uh, I switched that to um, like a weekly rental. I'm done doing like nightly, you know, prior to COVID nightly rentals were great. You got the most amount of money for them. It was really easy to turn the property. Um, You know, you didn't have to worry about things. Now with coronavirus, um, the price of cleaning has doubled. Um, Our cleaners want like one day after checkout. um, Like, so you're losing a day out of the month. So theoretically, if you're trying to book 15 nightly rates or, or 30 nightly rates, you're now down to 15. Um, so I sold one because uh, I had $180,000 in equity in the property. Mm-hmm. So yeah. I was like, all right, I don't know where the market's going, but I yeah. do know that Airbnb isn't you know, rocking the same way that it used to. I mean, dude, I'm in Orlando, Florida. So like people come here to go to Disney, people come here to go to Universal, people mm-hmm. come here for conventions, people come here to travel for business. Uh, with COVID, none of that exists. Right. Uh, so I was like, all right, I don't know where the market's going, but I do know I've got so much equity stuck in this property. If the market does tank, I need to get that cash out so that I can make other plays because yeah. Short-term rentals aren't the only thing that I do. You know, if, if the market, like I got into real estate buying at the foreclosure auction. So if those floodgates theoretically were to open again, which in March and April, you know, all of us were kind of like, what's going to happen? Um, I wanted to have dry powder on hand to do the, to practice the other styles of real estate that I know how to do. And um, so, right. so I, sold, I sold one, um, I switched another door into a long-term rental. And um, like I said, I've got one that's like still yeah. there. And um, I, I switched it to a weekly rental. So you have to rent it for at least seven days. 
and that's been okay. You know, I've had, um, I've had mostly people that are like, oh, I'm renovating my house and need a place to stay. Or, you know, like for example, I have somebody that checks in on the fifth right. and yep. they have flood damage. So for five weeks, they're staying with us while their house gets repaired with flood damage. Yep. So, uh, things like that. And then okay. um, trying to think of how else it's really affected us, man. Um, you know, I used to be really aggressive with uh, like door knocking, things like that. Um, and that's just on hold, man. Like I'm yep. not, I'm not about to make somebody uncomfortable and just show up knocking on their door because they're free, they're uh, pre foreclosure or, you know, short sale eligible or, you know, whatever list we're pulling from. So the in-person stuff has been like halted, um, sure. which kind of sucks because I feel like that's like the best marketing that we do is like, like, I feel like I'm not good on the internet. Um, mm -hmm. I don't, I, I feel like I don't know, know how to be myself on the internet. Right. But if I knock on your door, I will gladly like have a beer with you we can talk fantasy football or whatever you want to talk about. Like, I don't know. I, I feel like where I thrive is in person and that's been a, a huge game changer is now we're just trying to like figure out how do we conduct business without, you know, the in-person aspect. So, right. 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 There's a lot of it. It's me trying to figure out how to be good on the internet, man. I'm no good yep. at it, but it's all good. It just takes practice, I guess. Um, well, yeah. I mean, we'll see what comes back and what doesn't. It's just going to be, that's going to be the whole game of yeah. what needs to adapt and what doesn't. But there's yeah. a couple of things there that we will come back to. I want to come back to door knocking and a couple of other things that you mentioned, but just from a high level, before we get too deep into anything, can you give us a quick background on how you got started in real estate? And then from also a high level, bring us up to speed on where that's led you to and what your business has turned in today. Okay. Um, let's see, man, from a high level, it all started at a very low level. Um, I had no intentions of getting into real estate. That was not, I mean, I got into this young, man. I got into this so young that I didn't really know what else was out there. Um, I wanted to work in music. That was my dream. Um, but essentially, man, I, uh, I graduated high school. The year or year after I graduated, um, my family lost everything. It was like 2007, 2008. Um, yeah, my childhood home got sold at the foreclosure auction. My, uh, my family used to own like a small furniture company. The economy went uh, belly up and we lost everything. And some dudes came and knocked on my door. I answered and um, they were like, hey, we didn't know people lived here, but we just bought your house at the foreclosure auction today. And I was like, weird, I didn't know my house was for sale. And they're like, yeah, so uh, let's figure something out. So we ended up raising private capital. Um, a, a friend of ours was like a hotelier who had a dry powder, but at the same time, during that time period, hotels were getting crushed. So he didn't necessarily have income coming in as well. So we used his private capital to buy our house back from the guys that bought it at foreclosure auction. Uh, they tacked on a nice $50,000 wholesale fee. Uh, we picked it up. My pops and I renovated it. We sold it two months later, made 200 grand, um, split the profits between the private capital person and my pops and I. And then dude, like a month later, we started going to the same foreclosure auction that they sold my family home at. And I just started 
picking up little traps, man. Um, cause we didn't have a lot of capital, you know, like, like I said, we, we had a hundred grand. So we just started picking up little traps, um, you know, starting with one, figuring out the process. Uh, cause we weren't house flippers, dude. We weren't real estate people at all. You know, we were unlicensed. We barely had capital. We didn't really know what we were doing, but we knew at the time we could afford to buy a $20,000, you know, three, two block house, put another 20 grand into it and then sell it for 75. So we just started picking up little traps, man. And um, Orlando at that time was crushed. We were destroyed. The, we were one of the hardest hit cities by the recession, you know, cause we're tourism and travel driven. Um, right. So when, uh, when they shut the faucet off on that, man, it, it just collapsed. The infrastructure wow. just wasn't there to support people. So we, um, you know, we were just picking up little base hits, man. Um, base it there, base it here, you know, 20 grand, 20 grand, 20 grand. And um, as time went on, you know, I just started to practice more styles of real estate. And, um, you know, when time goes by like that, you know, you find, you find you're like semi-decent at something. And I, I feel like the window had already gone by for me to go to college. Um, I never had the opportunity. My family was so broke. Um, <laughs> You know, and, and by the time that I had enough money to like go to college, all my friends had already graduated. So I was like, eh, I guess I'm just going to keep doing this. And right. um, ultimately, you know, I just wanted to, I, if I, if I went to college, I mean, I would have mostly just gone for the girls and drinking. So I, I don't know if I had a passion then, um, you know, at 18, 20, 21, what do you really know? You know, I didn't know much at least. Um, so time just kept going by and I figured I would rather sharpen the sword that I already had in my hand than try to like pick up and do something. And then, you know, next thing you know, dude, 13 years goes by. Um, yeah. Um, okay. But yeah, dude, I, I mean, time kept going. We kept buying houses at the foreclosure auction. Then they shut that down. Well, they didn't shut it down, but they switched it from like in-person to online. When they moved it online, the international hedge funds were able to buy. Um, back then, they used to have to like hire guys like me to buy them houses. When it moved online, you know, you can be sitting in China and bidding on houses in Orlando, Florida. So that's where like I pivoted. I got more into like off market, digging up off market deals um, and a lot more into like wholesaling because back then I was wholesaling houses to the hedge funds but I didn't even know that I was doing that. Like wholesaling. Can you, can you just define what wholesaling is? Yeah. So essentially like how it worked at the auctions is I would buy a house for 50 grand. I would close on it that day because at the auction, you literally have to fund it by 5 PM. Um, I would buy it for 50. I would sell it to the hedge fund the same exact day or, you know, maybe that week for 60 and I would make that 10 grand spread. Um, mm -hmm. So I mean, nowadays, or I guess not nowadays, but um, other styles of wholesaling could just be like selling paper. A lot of people, myself included, will you know put something under contract for fifty, put an assignable contract in place, and then you know have a buyer come in, and instead of me actually putting up my funds, they'll just cover the entire spread, and you know the title company will just write you a check, whether it's called a consulting fee, whether it's called a commission, whether it's called an assignment fee. There's a lot of different words that you can coin it as, but 
you know, you make the spread. The whole world, the whole world runs on the wholesale model, if you think sure. about it. Like yep. gro- a grocery store buys, you know, Cheerios yep. at a dollar a box. They sell it to you at three, they make the spread. The whole world operates on that model. But in real estate, that's essentially how it goes. But yeah, man. Um, so I started buying at the auction. Uh, I was wholesaling, not even knowing that I was wholesaling because it wasn't a buzzword back then like it is nowadays. And um, when when that stopped, you know, I just pivoted into um, the next thing, which was drumming up off-market deals, um, selling paper. And then um, I guess we got kind of heavier into creative flips at that time, like like deep, like expensive flips where we were spending a hundred grand a renovation, um, trying to like, you know, do almost like make art versus like, you know, just regular real estate, paint carpet, lipstick on a pig. Um, so we kind of got creative with it then. And then mm-hmm. uh, yep. because of that, we got offered um, to film the show called Zombie House Flipping on A&E. And um, I guess I was 24 at the time when we got offered zombie house flipping. And we filmed a pilot with me and uh, three of my friends um, just to see what would happen. And then like nine months later, uh, we got a phone call saying essentially, welcome to Hollywood. Disney and A&E just bought your television show. Get ready to film. I guess I was 25 at that time. And we just started making TV, man. Um, started doing like really intricate flips um, and just trying to like give America or the world something fun to watch. So we did that for, um, we, we haven't been filming for, I guess about, it's been like nine months, 10 months since we filmed last. Um, our third season came out last year. And yeah, dude, we just started doing like intricate flips, like really intricate, creative, fun stuff. Um, got, got a lot more advanced in construction. And then, um, ever since the show stopped filming, honestly, we've been building a lot of new construction because that gives you the ability to be really creative without having to like fix other people's mistakes. So, um, zombie house flipping kind of transitioned into us becoming like developers and getting to do cool stuff from the ground up without having to like you know, fix the mistakes of 50 years past that you run into when you're like actually renovating the house. Yeah. So that is, I guess, like 13 years in a nutshell. Um, It's damn sure not everybody's story. It damn sure wasn't um, the story that I thought my life would take. But, you know, you just roll with the punches, man. That's life, right? You just keep swinging. And we just kept swinging. And that's where it led us. What were some of the biggest learnings on your first couple flips? Um, honestly, dude, I would say just knowing how to do it because I knew nothing, you know, at 18, um, I would be hard pressed to even know if I, uh, knew how to pick up a paintbrush. (laughs) So, um, you know, you learn a lot with that. And, but I will say the most, I would say one of the most valuable things that I learned was the people component of it. You know, fortunes can be made and lost in real estate based on who you're doing business with. And I went through a lot of um, a lot of people that didn't necessarily have um, other people's best interest in mind, and I think that was a really expensive but also valuable lesson to learn. Um, you know, I, I think that up until I was probably twenty four, 
23, I didn't necessarily have the partners that I needed in place. And um, luckily through time and error, it kind of teaches you what to look out for, you know, whether it's dealing with contractors that just want to get paid up front and then never show up on the job again, or whether it's dealing with realtors that are going to promise you the world in a basket, you know, whether it's off market deals or right. selling your house in one day or you name it. Um, there's just a lot of talk. Um, real estate has a very low entry barrier. So yep. essentially anybody just needs their free 200 Vista print business cards that they literally offer you in a coupon. Um, and to put financial analyst, uh, wealth planner, wholesaler, investor, that's a fucking great one. I love how many people I meet that are quote unquote investors and don't own a single door. Right. Um, it's a low barrier yeah. of entry. So you, you sure. just gotta, you gotta kiss a lot of frogs. So what's your advice now or, or what's your process now to find good people that maybe you weren't doing at the beginning? Uh, okay, so I think that technology has been pretty good at like helping close this door. Um, nowadays, like there's an app called Thumbtack that mm -hmm. I use all the time. If it's like so small that you're like, ah, oh, I'm not gonna be able to get one of my guys in here to do this for less than a hundred bucks. You can literally go on Thumbtack and there's people that literally say, no job is too small, I will get it done. Um, and you know, it, they're vetted, there's a review process. It's almost like the Yelp for contractors. Um, and you can get, any, dude, you can get anybody on it. Like you, house cleaners, pool guys, roofers, you name it. I mean, you can mm -hmm. essentially find what you need on it. Um, I think that technology has kind of held people accountable because it's really easy to put somebody on blast. You know, yep. the, the cancel Good culture is real. Um, yeah. So I think it holds people accountable. I think it holds me accountable. Um, like I know that I go out of my way to give better, maybe not better, but I go out of my way to give customer service because sure, sure. I know how easy it is to just go on the internet and be like, this person was mean to me or whatever you want to say. You know, people are always upset about something. Mm -hmm. um, and on the bright side though, with technology, it's kind of weeded out con artists. So once upon a time, I used to use Craigslist all the time. Nowadays, like I couldn't tell you the last time I was on Craigslist. And Super sketchy. Yeah. yeah, exactly. So um, it, it, technology has given the ability to like weed out a lot of people, um, which is good, especially if you're a beginner. Like if you're listening to this podcast and you're like, ah, oh, I don't know any handymen and there's not a like uh, REI meetup group in my hometown or, you know, whatever the case is. There's an app to go download Thumbtack. You, you, you buy a house and it needs paint, carpet, and some cabinets. You can literally get it all done on an app. Um, so that has been, um, that's been great. And then learning lessons, man. I, I think that was the question. Sorry, I've been rambling. I, Thumbtack should send me a paycheck for as much as I've been rambling about them. But um, no, that's good, man. That's, yeah. I mean, that could be just a one size fits all kind of answer for just people that are not sure where to find help. Yeah. They're looking on Google, they're looking on investor forums, but Thumbtack is amazing and I've used it all the time as well. So I think it's just a good tip, but it's amazing how many people haven't heard about it. So yeah. that, that's good on that. 
on uh, yeah so I, I don't know i'm trying to think of like another tip to give yeah, people yeah. that are starting out um or a lesson that i've learned uh oh i would say this is probably a good one and we can move on from here don't yeah. pay people up front uh that is such an expensive lesson that everybody will eventually learn if they're not actually practicing the art of paying contractors when they're done because i can't tell you how many times between 2007 and 2011 um that i would hire a gc give them you know whether it's five grand or 15 grand and then mm -hmm. maybe never see them again there's at, there's like three or four situations that stick out in my mind that like i'm still salty about so yeah, if anybody's a listening, little bit of money that's a lot of money what so what's your advice for people that are when should they pay or or what about this scenario done. let's say, let's say you're in a scenario where the, the contractor is saying uh if you don't pay i'm not doing the job is that just not the right contractor to work with yeah so like for me like i feel like whenever they give me the excuse like i don't have the money to buy the materials to start i'm like great i have a pro account at home depot a pro account at lowe's it all goes on my corporate account you don't need to buy materials you need to pick them up or i can drop them off and you just need to do the work it's just sweat equity like that's what I require, um, I don't let contractors typically buy materials, period. Um, because if you do and you actually go through their receipts, you'll find that they will buy themselves tools. Unless they're giving me that tool at the end of the job, uh, why am I paying for you to have a new table saw? That's ridiculous. Um, or you'll find that they're, they're buying materials for other jobs and juicing you for it. So, you know, you'll look at a receipt and you're like, okay, like I didn't order 20 sheets of drywall. Why is there 20 <laughs> sheets of drywall on this? You know, they're buying, you know, they're, uh, they're robbing Peter to pay Paul, but they're billing both of you. So it's a, it's a whole, it's, it's a hustle, man. It's a hustle. Um, if a contractor tells you that they can't afford to start the work or whatever, move on, man, find somebody that makes decent money. Because I, I, I look at my contractors that I consistently use and I'm like, wow, I just paid you $7,000 this week for floor or for tile or whatever. So if you're making five grand a week, if you're broke, then you have your own personal issues that don't revolve around me. So what's I'm the difference in your mind between a contractor and a subcontractor? Or what does the beginner investor need to know about working with one of them or both of them? Um, oh my God, I don't know if people are going to like this answer. Um, Love it. GCs are glorified babysitters that charge you 20% for sitting on the job site and maybe picking up materials and pulling mm. permits. Uh, I don't work with them ever unless I'm building new construction. And even when we're building new construction, I'll typically hire a GC just to pull permits and then we'll sub out the rest. Um, that being said, Handymen and subs are a whole nother battle. You know, um, it's really hard to find reliable people. It's, it's hard to find people that aren't, you know, drug addicts or dealing with their own personal demons, vices, in and out of jail. I don't know. I mean, I'm in Florida, man. Florida, like, already is a kind of wild place. Um, we are not short of crazies down here. So a lot of the subs, you know, that I deal with are, you know, they're a little out there. Um, right. I'm a little out there myself, so I don't, you know, I don't worry about it, but you have to be smart. You just, you, you just have to be smart. You, you can't just hand people a, a paycheck. 
and expect them to ever come back. Uh, you'll get robbed blind, it, especially like in Florida, you can just open an LLC, get paid, shut down your LLC. There's no legal action and you can just rinse, wash, repeat. I mean, there's literally like G quote unquote GCs out here that open and close new LLCs all the time just because they wow. will take a draw, take a $20,000 first draw on a, on a building or a job or whatever, shut down their LLC and go rinse, wash, repeat somewhere else. So you just got to be careful. Um, I would say, but the biggest difference, man, I don't know if there's a difference. One is just uh, probably been doing it longer to the point mm -hmm. where he's become a GC. Um, sure. But I don't know. I, I feel like all the like real GCs I know are doing big developments. They don't want to worry about like a rehab house. You know, like I, I couldn't even imagine bringing a general contractor on like a renovation. Um, new construction, different story because they're running it from breaking ground to infill to, you know, getting it done, final walkthrough. On a renovation, um, if people are listening and they're like, oh, I, maybe I want to flip a house. Don't call a GC. Don't do it. Um, just go find some good subs um, and ask them what they specialize in. Like that's like one of the first questions I ask people. I'm like, hey, moving forward, what should I call you for? Like, what do you, what is your strength? Like, are you really good at plumbing? Are you really good at electrical? Are you really good at painting? Are you really good at floors? Like, what are you really good at? So that I know moving forward, I can put you in my phone. Cause what I do, dude, I save, I don't remember people's names very well. So I just save like Dave really good at floors and I'll just type in floors on my iPhone and um, I'll, I'll, I'll be like, Oh, this guy, Dave said he was really good at floors and he did them for me for a dollar 50 a square foot once upon a time. Mm -hmm. So, um, that, that's sure. my advice for people trying to hire, man, is just like that, ask them what they're good at and, uh, give them what they're good at and don't let contractors because a lot of handymen try to tell you like, I can do this entire job myself. That's ridiculous. Where you're going to take two months of my time so that you can slowly, but surely do everything. Get out of here. I'm gonna hire a good floor guy, a good painter. Like I don't let handymen also typically like paint. I have painters. My painters come in, they do it right, they do it quick. It takes six hours or less to paint an entire house. Boom, boom, boom. Uh, my floor guys, I have a cabinet guy. Like just find people that are good and then car, uh, compartmentalize them in your mind of like, who do you need to bring to like execute this process? A lot of people starting out will run into handymen that say, I can do everything. And I'm yes. like, yeah, bro, I'm sure you can over the period of six months, but I'm not trying to wait six months, dude. And I'm also not trying to give you, cause what they really want is just a load of guaranteed work. Right. But when you hire somebody that says they're going to do everything, you're at the mercy of them. So, you know, like whatever, it's just bad business. It's just not how, it's not how a well oiled machine runs. So um, before we move on to just the calculating the cost of some of this stuff and just for the sake of time, yeah. Uh, there's so much here, man. And I think so many people are going to get value out of this. I, I, we might need to do a part two, like seriously, just because sure. there's so much, so much here. So one, one question, um, well, just as, as a follow-up to that. And again, like this is a beginner audience, but I think this stuff is, I've never, and I've listened to so many episodes of podcasts, never really heard it explained, but let's say we're talking about getting work done. So we're talking about subs. So mm -hmm. like for you in your head, how do you, what, what are the main components of a house? that you kind of compartmentalize, you've thrown out a bunch of them already. Like flooring, maybe kitchen, uh, maybe a handy person. But like, if you're looking at, let's say 
a fix up house. Like, like, like you see a dumpy house that someone finds wholesaling all the time. You know, there's a lot of parts of it that need work, but for the beginner, I think because they, they see it all at once, it becomes really overwhelming instead of breaking it up like, all right, roof, windows, kitchen, floor. So in your head, how do you compartmentalize who's going to do what? And also like, what are the buckets that each person falls into just so that they know like, wait, should my bathroom guy typically be able to do my flooring or is that a separate person? Yeah. Um, I mean, it really all depends on who you're working with. Uh, if you, if you have people like I did, they, I, I do have handymen that could theoretically do everything, you know, sure. it's just, it's, if you're flipping houses, especially if you're borrowing capital to do it, which a lot of people that are starting off, I would say almost all of the people starting off typically do. Uh, if you have a hard money loan or private capital and equity partner, you name it, there's so many ways to structure a deal. Time is of the essence, dude. Like, I, like you, you can't just sit here paying on a note. It's a hundred, like if you, if you have a hard money loan, it's a hundred percent interest only typically. And you're paying 10, 12%, sometimes even more. Um, which by the way, if you are paying more, that's ridiculous. Don't 12% uh, cap. But you know, dude, you're stroking off a thousand to five thousand dollar check every month. How much is that person that you're quote unquote saving money with costing you a day? So I think that like the one of the biggest shifts for me on like being able to look at the micro and macro of a deal is like the actual co true cost. And it takes time to figure out true cost. Um, nowadays, dude, I, I can tell you exactly how much it costs to own the house that I'm sitting in right now. Um, I can tell you how much it costs to own every single one of my rental properties. I can tell you that when there's a vacancy, how much am I losing every single day? So mm. when you look at it like that, like, so let's say a handyman comes to you and he's like, I will save you so much money if you let me do the floors and paint the house. In my head, I'm like, okay, it costs me $100 a day to own this. Um, if I can bring in a painter that's $200 more expensive than you, but it gets done two days quicker, I'm ahead of the game. I'm not behind it. Like I will pay more knowing how much my time is actually costing me, how much it costs me every single day, whether it's taxes, insurance, mortgage, et cetera. There's a lot of fucking cost for owning a house. Um, right. Especially like in my market, man, taxes are really expensive. Um, right. Almost, I would say um, almost every house I buy is 5,000 a year or above in taxes. That's money, bro. Like right. that, time, that's, is, time is for sure money. And it's like money. more than, more than people definitely think about. Um, exactly. But just, so, just before we move on, just on the buckets of like who can or should be doing what for the person that they're like, okay, these skills are close enough that this yeah. person should be able to do maybe like their core thing. And then one or two other things outside of it, yeah. instead of like their, handy person saying that like I can rewire the house I can replumb a house like all the you know yeah. just like who needs to be a specialist and who needs to be a general it's hard to say but like in your head how do you think about it okay so if, if I'm selling a house like if, if I'm flipping a house so I'm buying it and my plan is to throw it on the market within 90 days I know that I'm probably selling to a uh, buyer that's going to get a mortgage they're probably going to have a four-point inspection and the lender is going to want to see like i you can't say i put a new roof on a house and not have a permit 
You, well, you can you can say it. Say it until the cows come home. But nobody believes you, and also right. a lender is going to be really annoyed when they find out that you're doing unpermitted work. So, to me, what differentiates like bringing in the pros that only do what the pros do versus like letting a handyman do things. Um, one, if I if I my exit strategy is to sell it. So I know if I'm selling the house. The only person that's getting on that roof is a licensed and insured roofer because I'm not saying that I put a new roof on a house and I, I can't I, I can't show a permit to prove it. Uh, that's ridiculous, and it also makes you look kind of it, it kind of makes you look bad. Um, mm -hmm. Electrical, uh, you you really ought to pull like if you're swapping out a box, if you're rewiring whatever, if it's like hanging a ceiling fan, installing some lights. Dude, I'll do that myself. Like, whatever. It takes 20 minutes. Um, right. If you're rewiring or swapping a panel out, a down here we have a lot of, like, Federal Pacific panels, which insurance companies don't like. They were banned in, like, the 60s or 70s. Uh -huh. you, you typically want to swap them. So I always have, like, a real electrician swap that out. Um, plumbing, if you're moving it, uh, pull, pull a permit, like, you know, be, be real about it. If you're just swap, like if you're just putting, you know, if, if the existing plumbing stain, but you're going from like copper to PEX, a handyman can do it. So I think you just have to think about like what, what shows up on a four point inspection. And if you're selling the house, it's not a rental property. You're selling it to a finance buyer. What would cause an issue getting it to close? Because ultimately the goal of flipping a house is to get to yep. the closing table and have it fun. So mm -hmm. you don't want to shoot yourself in the foot letting a handyman who's not qualified to pull permits do everything. And then when the lender says, oh, I see here it says the house was replumbed, but there's zero county permits pulled. What's the deal with that? You know, like, dude, spend the extra grand and get it done right and get it done quickly. Because also... Like we were talking about, if that handyman took 10 days to replumb the house and cost me $100 a day, I could have brought in a licensed plumber, pulled a permit, and it would have cost me the same amount of money, but I can actually prove it with that piece of paper and be like, look at my permit. It's done correctly. It passed. Here's the inspection report. So, you know, mm -hmm. dude, if time is of the essence and you're selling the house, if the goal is to flip it, bring in the pros, get it done right, get it done quick know how to schedule them correctly so that yeah. you don't have your guys stacked on top of each other. Just get it done, man. Cause I can't tell you how many times going the cheap route for me has been the most expensive route. That's that, that's like a lesson that like, as I get older, I learn time and time again, whether it's buying a television or buying food, you know, like, like dude, eat at McDonald's every single day and let me know how that goes. You know, it's See a what dollar, happens. but what's it really cost you? It's so you know? true. Such a good point. Um, last thing, man, last question before we, before we get you out of here. Uh, a lot of buyers in our group, they'll get a property under contract. They'll, they'll do lead measures to find stuff either on market or off market, which for a lot of people, that's the hardest part. They get the property under contract. It's with a bank and then they have an inspection done. And the inspection comes back and they don't know what to do with it. It's a scary looking thing. It's a long inspection sometimes with 200 things that are outlined and they don't know what to do with it. So one, what should they do with it? And two, how should they know what is a red flag and what's not on that inspection report? Um, okay, so we're talking about 
we're buying the house. We're not selling it. Right? We're buying it. This is okay. a, a buyer looking to become an investor. So they either tagged up with a wholesaler yeah. or they found something in MLS and they have a contract on it and they're pursuing financing and the bank that is giving them the financing needs an inspection. They get the inspection yeah. back and now they're like, well, what's bad on here? What, who do I show this to, to get an opinion? Cause I'm not technical. I'm not a contractor. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I mean, there's like major things to look out for and hopefully your inspector. I mean, honestly, I would say the answer to the simplest answer to that question is to actually hit up your inspector and be like, Hey man, like Great what am time. I looking at? And also like, what do you think about this? Cause you got to remember inspectors jobs are literally looking at houses all day, <laughs> every day. And if they're good inspectors, they know damn well how to fix it and how bad the actual scenario is. So like I've been working with Scott, my, my inspector for over 10 years and wow. I call Scott and I trust him and I'm like, Scott, tell me what you think, man. Like, I don't even need your inspection report. I just need your opinion. Um, that is it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, but it, let's say that's not the case. Let's say you're just, let, maybe the inspection report came with the house. I mean, honestly, like I bid on houses every now and then they're like inspection report available, you know, cause obviously a buyer pulled one, shared it with the sellers and then didn't close on the house. So in a situation like that, um, I would keep your eyes open for like the major red flags, which are like foundation issues. Uh, in Florida, we have to worry about things like sinkholes. You see things like that, like turn and run. Um, foundation issues or can be a major headache. Um, nowadays, let's say they're like running plumbing through the walls. So like once upon a time, I used to worry about like slab leaks, things like that. Nowadays, like with pecs, it's so easy to just run it through the ceiling. You don't have to worry about that. Um, the electrical, you know, if you have aluminum wiring and it's like an older house down here in Florida, we have a lot of like plaster houses. Um, if you have aluminum wiring and for some reason also like a plaster house, uh, that's a nightmare. You, you, you're going to take down every single sheet of drywall just to re remediate that problem. So I would say like the major, major components, you know, the, is the foundation good? How's the roof look? Um, mm -hmm. how, like if you're up North, what does the furnace look like? Um, is there like at one point, was it an oil run furnace? Like, is there an oil tank buried in the backyard? Is the house on septic? If it's on septic, like how's the drain field look? Cause that can get really expensive really quick. I've had situations where like the septic has literally failed while the house was under contract with, you know, 10 pallets of new sod in the lawn. And we had to replace the drain field and literally tear up 10 pallets of sod. So, you know, situations like that, the, the major key components, but if you're just looking at it, inspectors have this like, uh, innate ability to make everything seem like a big deal. Um, they're, they're very good at that. So like literally they can make a light switch that doesn't work in the kitchen seem like it's the end of the world. Exactly. You, you just have to like realize like what is important and what's not like if a light doesn't work and they take 10 pictures of it and draw those little arrows in the inspection report, you know, you're like, when you've done it a couple times, you're like, whatever, it's a light dude. Like I'm, I'm swapping that out regardless. But if that inspection report comes back and it's the exterior of the house and the blocks are like this because it's sinking in a place in Florida, we have so much like settling because we're on sand and we're mm -hmm. also at sea level um, that 
so often you look at the exterior of a house and the concrete blocks aren't even touching anymore. Right. They're like the entire corner of the house is sinking into the earth. So situations like that, you know, you're like, oh, this is real. Like I actually need to do this. But you know, like you were saying, you get back to that inspection report, it's 95 pages long. It's like, oh, the burner on the stove doesn't work. Dude, whatever, we're swapping out the entire kitchen. Like it doesn't matter. So I think really the best advice I can give you is like, knowing your scope of work, like if you're buying the house as a flip, you already know your gut in the kitchen. So when that inspection report comes back of 20 pages of wrong with the cabinets and the appliances, you don't care because you're already gutting it. It doesn't matter. Um, True. The only things you should worry about are the things that like aren't on your scope of work already. So if you were going into the house, not budgeting for a brand new roof, and then the inspector comes back and says, yo, you've got roof leaks and, you know, the shingles are at the end of their life. They're 20 years old. Then, you know, either one, you need to find it in your budget to replace it. Or two, you need to move on to the next deal if it's too skinny because, you know, roofs are expensive. Um, yep. Yep. Once, yep. Upon a to- once upon a time, we uh, were putting them down for 100 a square. Nowadays, it's like, it feels like it's 400 a square no matter what we touch. Um, so... Wow. You know, um, it, you, you just have to know your scope of work. And if you're buying it as a rental, um, which I imagine a lot of people, if they were obtaining financing to buy an investment property, it probably would be a rental. You have to think like, what am I counting on like not breaking? And how long can I push like this deferred maintenance? Because a lot of like being a landlord is just trimming the fat. So if you're buying something and the cabinets are falling down and you had no intentions of replacing them, then you got to figure out how to put a bandaid on them or you just got to move on to a, another deal that has better cash flow or the ability to find a better budget. So I think uh, it's kind of tough, man. I mean, a lot of yeah. it's just kind of seeing through the bull. Like I was saying, inspectors have such a good ability at making everything seem like such a big deal. Um, you just have to know like, this is my scope of work. As long as I can do this, then I already know that that light switch doesn't matter. That's a $25 fix. Or, you know, the foundation is falling into the earth. So mm-hmm. I, I don't know. Um, I, okay. I would say right. experience yeah. brings this ability. But yep. also, yep. Yep. I think if it's your first inspection, ask the inspector. Just ask him. It's his job and you paid for it. Cost you 300 bucks. You might as well get an opinion. <laughs> you know yep. all right well that's that's a really good tip um i haven't heard that one as much people usually say contractor but i think going the inspector could be more neutral and they're not trying to sell you anything at that point so i like that tip totally. justin what is the best way for people to check out your stuff get in touch follow you learn about what you're doing okay um instagram i use it uh for the most part it's like the only social media platform i really engage in uh it's flip orlando uh, mm-hmm. that's the city I'm in. So flip Orlando. Okay. Zombie house flipping. You can watch seasons one, two, and three on Amazon right now. Or if you have cable, you can watch them on A&E. I think they play marathons of us every Saturday. I don't know, man. <laughs> I, I haven't had cable since, I don't know, a yeah. decade ago. But you can watch it on Amazon or Google Play, iTunes, whatever streaming service you want to check that out on if you want to watch us be idiots and throw sledgehammers <laughs> around. Um, and then if, uh, if you just want to talk real estate, my website is justinstamper.com. Cool. I'm happy to talk to people. Um, I offer 
you know, consulting, if anybody, like, even if you're not in my market, let's say you're in, you know, Idaho and you just want advice on the steps of like flipping a house or acquiring off market deals or yep, yep. whatever. Um, you know, I offer consulting. So people are more than welcome. I love talking about real estate with people. I like helping people out. A lot of this entire industry is just connecting the dots. And sometimes that's the hardest part. You know, I would, a lot of people say the, the hardest part is just taking the first step and they're probably right. But also I would say the second step is equally as hard. Cause that's just figuring out how do I, how do I fund a deal? How do I sell a deal? A lot of people, like, if you haven't done it yes. before, it's not yep. like they teach this in public school. Definitely so, not. Definitely not at all. I, I'm a big fan of like connecting the dots for people. So if cool. anybody is listening and they're like, oh man, I know how, I know I've got this deal, but I don't know what to do next. Dude, send me an email. I'm happy to help. There's always a way to like get creative, make a deal work, kind of think outside the box. Um, I was lucky enough to have a lot of good mentors and still do that taught me how to think creatively. And uh, mm -hmm. if you don't, understand creative financing or you've never done it before or just the creativity of real estate in general hit up somebody that that does and okay, you cool. know if, if you're listening to this feel free to hit me up i'm happy to help i love seeing people succeed man there's so much food on the table all of us can eat love it justin thank you so much again for coming on man i look forward to following the journey and checking out your content best of luck in 2020 and beyond yeah, Jonathan. And if you want to do part two of this, man, I'm happy to come on and uh, yell about more contractors. Happy. I definitely want to take you up on that. Let's no definitely make that happen. Thank you again, Justin. Cool, man. Have a good day. I'll talk to you too, soon. See ya. Bye. Hey, you millennial millionaire. Do you want more? Then head to the Millennial Millionaires Through Real Estate Facebook group, where there are tons of step-by-step -step walkthroughs, tools, templates, and free networking to help you achieve financial freedom through real estate. And if you want Jonathan to help you personally reach your goals, then feel free to set up a one-on-one -on -one call in the link below or message him on any social media platform and apply to, well, work with Jonathan.